it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope everyone, respectively, had a great Mother's Day. Now we're back in action in the Northeast. I know the weather was fantastic. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, but we were covering everything to make this show great today. We were able to wrangle Will Kane seven hours before. He's going to be hosting his 8 o'clock p.m. show tonight on Fox News. And Mike Rogers at the bottom of the hour, almost as smart as Will came. He was the former chair of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, former FBI guy who might very well be running for president. And before we get to Will, who's swiveling on his chair, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Put a Republican in there. What if it had been, you know, Jenny, Jenna Bush had been hired while her father was president or Liz Cheney had been hired while her father was vice president? Would we say there's something stinky here? Yes, Carl, they would have. We're talking about Hunter. Swing and miss, really? Not so fast. James Comer crew on oversight uh, actually laid it out very successfully, I thought. He wants the media to pay attention. Talking about the Bidens, their family, and how they're benefiting. Well, what are they selling? They are selling only one thing, the access that Joe Biden had, even though he's not listed yet. Be patient. Number two. And at the end of the day, governing is not about entertaining. Governing is not about building a brand or talking on social media and virtue signaling. It's ultimately about winning and about producing results. Wow. Ron DeSantis, subtle shots at Trump. A, la- a lost weekend for Trump. A big, Well, actually, I would say a big week for Trump, but a weekend that belonged to Ron DeSantis. Blame the weather, credit the governor. And, oh, yeah, the president goes lower than low in his weekend address. I'm talking about Joe Biden. More on that in a moment. Number one. I think things are going at the border, sir. Much better, than, much, much better than you all expected. <laughs> Do you have any plans to visit the border? Not in the near term, no. Right. That's a guy out of breath on a bike. Perilous times at the southern border. Facilities uh, filled to triple capacity. Records set for apprehensions last week in cities battling counties on where the tens of thousands will be housed, fed, and absorbed. And yet Title 42 ends and Title 8 begins, and Biden officials are already on a victory lap? Don't think that makes much sense. Well, don't you think this is a little premature? to be uh, have Mayorkas on every Sunday show celebrating that they cut the numbers in half from 10,000 to 5,000 a day? Premature or false? And I say false, not denying the statistics that might be reported today, but false in painting a picture that hasn't existed before and won't exist after this momentary blip in time. You know, if I could, I'd love to do a quick fact check on the opening of the Brian Kilmeade show. So first of all, it is one of the most emasculating things that can be imagined to ride a bike to your point of the president riding a bike. I think the only thing worse would if he were riding a scooter, right? I, I don't mean a moment. Even Barack Obama who looks cool, never look good on a bike. No, you do. I don't care. Look, you could be an athlete. You could be Lance Armstrong. You don't look cool on a bike with and, that helmet. Oh, and then the helmet takes you down another four notches. He has his with, aviators on so he can look like a fighter pilot, but he's wearing a helmet 
riding a bike, and he's the leader of the free world. Second, do we really call this uh, high atop the Fox News headquarters? We're on like the 15th floor, and this thing goes way up. And y'all introduced the show as though you're high atop the show. Finally, most approachable radio host? Don't you think? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. If you need directions, you're coming up to me. Who's who's in the running? Put it this way. I was I had to buy Dawn, uh, who I married and is the mother of my children. I decided that for her, she, I'd go to Hand and Stone and get a gift certificate for her. While I'm sitting there, a guy walks off the street, walks up to me, two-story, and says, can I have directions to the uh, dog and cat rescue? Out of everybody in line, he comes up to me, dog and cat rescue. Does not think I work at Fox or anything. I have to look on my GPS device. Oh, you did? He doesn't have one. I found out that because he had a flip phone. I found out the dog and cat rescue had to write it down. If that isn't approachable, Will Kane, what is? Okay, I'm not saying you're not approachable, but before we crown you with the title, I just wanted to run through my mind. Let's see, there's, let's say, Clay and Buck, Dan Bongino, Mark Levin, Glenn Beck. Keep going. If you guys were all standing on a street corner, and I'm trying to think who else could be in the running here. You want to throw some sports figures in there, like, I don't know, like Mike Greenberg? You guys are all standing on a street corner, and someone needs directions. Do you go to Brian Kilmeade first? All right, I I'm going to say something. Got to put in uh, uh, Fale, uh, uh, Jimmy Fela, Fela, and oh, Guy, Guy Benson. Oh, Guy, Guy Benson. But everybody, you lined up. Okay. Tell me, tell okay. me who's more approachable. I'm going to say this: you're not high atop the Fox News headquarters, but but you might be the most approachable. Thank you very much. Host. Listen, we were, we were on 18. It made more sense we were on 18. We got to 15. Then we're all of a sudden, I can, I, it's hard to see. I just want the listeners to trust you, and I just worry coming out of the gates with that kind of No one news. has ever pointed that out. No one has ever pointed high atop with something of controversy that right. I've said. Right. You know Levin's, like, intro, you know, where he's like, what is it in his secret lair bunkered down? Right. Under- <laughs> Let me just tell you this. I like Mark Levin. Uh, he's done some really nice things for me. But no one is asking directions to the dog and cat rescue <laughs> to Mark Levin while he's online for a hand and stone massage. Takes off the glasses. Listen here. <laughs> you go right at the corner. <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to see the sign. Right. Why are you asking me? Uh, it's part of the whole Marxist thing. Uh, I mean, Marxism, everybody's got to get direction from everybody else instead of being on our own just to get lost like we used to. All right. So what were we saying? Let's talk about 2024. We haven't done that. First off, thanks for hanging around Saturday night. That was a long day for you, especially you got to get primed up for the next day, Sunday. And then you got to ready to do five days at eight o'clock this week. Yeah, that's right. So um, so on 2024, I did not realize this when we did the show. And actually, we shouldn't have. I I don't know if I could have realized this. But Ron DeSantis, after doing his second speech, went to the one mile from where Donald Trump was supposed to give his speech and canceled it. And he went over to a famous restaurant and then went outside a picnic table. And he and his wife took questions and, and, and took pictures with everybody. That, that's good gamesmanship. That's a guy that wants to win should he get into this race. What do you think about that? You know, I still wonder. So I, I, I told you this this weekend. This isn't a game of should. This isn't a game of preference. This is a game of just simply observation. Ron DeSantis has the track record. He has the the job that he's done in Florida. He has like all the stake. The question is, does he have the sizzle? And Donald Trump undoubtedly has all of the sizzle. I mean, he's a rock star. He's blockbuster. And the question remains about Ron DeSantis is, 
A, can you be a retail politician shaking hands and smiling and connecting with human beings on a one-on-one level, which I think still matters in politics? And B, can he commandeer um, or command a stage and a podium in a way that makes people want to follow? I should say C, can he do it at the same time that Donald Trump is on that same stage going back and forth throwing haymakers in a debate? And so I just wonder about all of those elements. And I'm not telling you again that it's right or wrong or should or shouldn't or preference. I'm just telling you the way that I think that it is. And it is necessary for him to have that sizzle. And, Will, this is Street and Smith pregame report before the Internet when they used to put out the magazines and tell you the chances your team had to win. And they have a section where it says here's the positives, here's the negatives. And there's the question. That's called setting it up. I, I love the fact that you say you don't know. Because I'm surprised how many people know. They know the best way to deal with Trump is you fight him. The best way to deal with Trump is you ignore him. Well, you don't want to have him in his face. I don't know. Well, no one – no, that's such nonsense that somebody suggests they know. No one has successfully – no one has beat Donald Trump. Well, I Joe mean, Biden could, did. He didn't, beat, he didn't beat him in a debate. You know, I think that Joe Biden and the media and the, and the national um, intelligence apparatus – all together in coordination, Zuckerbucks beat Donald Trump in coordination. And if you think that, it, it, does Ron DeSantis have all that at his disposal in a Republican primary? I don't think so. Here is what Chris Christie says. He does have a way to beat Trump. Cut 15. You can't beat Donald Trump by playing bumper pool and hitting it off three cushions and hope that it goes in. If it goes in the hole, um, it's that's not the way it works, John. And I think they're all making a marked mistake. As to the audience reaction, let's face it, CNN went in the tank to get Trump on there. They allowed him to negotiate who was going to be in that audience. And those were all Trump supporters. I don't care how they introduced them. Those I know a lot of those people in that audience. I spent a lot of time in New Hampshire eight years ago, and a lot of those are the same faces that I saw eight years ago. Though you, you pay no attention to the audience reaction. Those were all people who, in the main, 80 percent or so were Trump supporters. So that was a negotiation deal that the Trump did with CNN. And I think CNN was wrong for doing it. I thought the audience was not a main part of it. You know, they cheered. But that was typical, I think, of a Republican uh, town hall of Donald Trump. I would have liked to have seen more questions. If I was her, I would have got what I had to do and just say, you know, just where do you stand on January 6th? Get it out of the way for CNN viewers. And then to ask legitimate questions, and then you could kind of play off what the audience was doing. Isn't the whole thing, and I was slow to understand this, it was a town hall. It gave her an opportunity, Caitlin Collins, to kind of back out and, like, let the people ask the questions in a Republican primary. What happened to that concept? It quickly became a grilling of Donald Trump, of grievances of Trump, expecting him to somehow change the answers we all know about. Uh, If you want to have a grilling and you want to do a fact check, I'm not sure a town hall, even with what I mean by that is even with yeah. the, the dressing of a town hall, having yeah. a live studio audience, it, not only does it not um, help, it hurts because he has a crowd that he can play to, and he's really good with a crowd, and that crowd was happy to hear from Donald Trump. That's if you go into it saying, I want to fact-check every single thing that he says and have this be an adversarial interview. If you actually want to elicit information, yeah. then you could use the town hall. But the thing is, we it's like – I don't know if the goal was to play the greatest hits or what it may be, but like those topics are are done. So I agree. January sixth. Um, what Nobody else was cares. it? There was several of these right off the top where we just said like elections are out. 
The other one was election four today. years old. How about the fact that they asked him about a policy he left while in office was the separation of families? We all know now that we went over it. It was uh, Jeff Sessions' idea to do it. He implemented it. Trump didn't back off of it. When it clearly went south and Melania was not even for it, went down with the jacket on, he left it. So after a year and a half, he left this idea. She goes, are you going to go back to child separation? You know Donald Trump's like, maybe, uh, because when families, uh, we have to send the message these people can't come. That's just Trump being Trump. But he had an easy one on that. Well, he that, had an easy one to go, yeah, I left that policy. We're the 85,000 missing kids that Joe Biden can't keep track of. Did you know about that? Were you going to bring that up? That would have been such an easy parry. And I think that every time they turned to the town hall and the voters, they did ask forward-looking questions. Yeah. Like, what will you do? Like, And you could even couch it in, hey, you didn't get this accomplished in your first term. Will you get it accomplished in your second term? You can, you, can, But I know that the American people – whether or not they're Republican or Democrat, are sitting here going, we need solutions moving forward. And it's reasonable to assume that Donald Trump represents those solutions. But you have to ask him about it. you got to ask right. him about what's coming ahead of us on the road and how he will handle that. But the thing was constantly conducted through the rearview mirror, again, through the rearview right. mirror. And just as amazing is they were so surprised by it in that panel afterwards. But uh, here's what Al Sharpton said about Ron DeSantis. You know, every Democrat – what thinks they're going to beat Trump. So that's what they're hoping for. Cut 18. More and more every day, people are taking DeSantis less seriously. Uh, he's like a baby in a crib with a rattle wanting to be like daddy more than he looks like an adult that belongs in the living room sitting around having a discussion. I think it will come down to Biden and Trump unless something dramatically happens. And I think the more we see the tirades of Donald Trump on Mother's Day, no less, the more it reminds people, wait a minute, I don't want to go back there. And I think that that is uh, one of the assets that Joe Biden has aside from some of his achievements as president. Well, there's a lot in that in that clip from Al Sharpton and not all of it. Brian, I think, is incorrect. I think that Ron DeSantis does have a lot to prove. I don't think he's a baby in a crib incapable of having 44. an adult conversation. <laughs> he's doing not just adult conversations. He's he's executing adult policies in a world where actual solutions are hard to find. But he does have to find a way to distinguish himself from Donald Trump. And I don't know that DeSantis has that answer just yet. And I think that Sharpton might be right in his assessment that, I mean, the smart money, if you're betting right now, is a rematch of Biden versus Trump. I mean, that's the smart money. And I mean, like if you go to any of the betting apps on politics right now, that's where it lands. It lands on a rematch of Biden versus Trump. I like the like you said about Al Sharpton. He's also doing gamesmanship because he wants Trump. Number two, the other thing would be is that the problem is what he said about Joe Biden. Joe Biden isn't the grandfatherly nice guy. He comes off angry almost every single day. I have not seen a mediator, a voice of reason and moderation. That has not been the guy we saw. And when we come back, what he said over the weekend that I think was really pandering. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The harsh reality that racism has long torn us apart. It's a battle that's never really over. But on the best days, enough of us have the guts and the hearts to stand up for the best in us. To stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. Great. At a historic black college, he decides to say white supremacy is the biggest threat in America. Uh, Will Kane, do you agree? Somebody should go tell all the people trying to get into America right. the southern border. <laughs> that was a great oh, point. Why? Who are they? Those mostly white Europeans? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're right. ready to take care, take advantage of this supremacist culture right. we have here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just such a ridiculous naked pander. And the line, did we cut it off right after that next line? And I'm not just saying that because I'm at a black HBCU. <laughs> That's exactly what you said. Because he knew deep down, oh, this is really obviously pandering. <laughs> well, you know the thing is I think he got 92% of the black vote in the last election. Now it's down to 58 uh, 58%. Mm-hmm. And the way to get that back is to say things like this. Stoke victimhood. Larry Elder from the Bleefist Stats last night when he was on with Steve Hilton he said there's been 25 uh, African-Americans who have lost their lives due to white supremacy. But in terms of black-on-black crime and everything else, the numbers are astronomical. This is just not an issue in America. There are always idiots out there. But to characterize America that way, I think is so detrimental. Because then it has people going, wait a second, maybe he's right. You know, with those 75 million that voted for him, maybe Joe Biden's right. Maybe we are a, a country controlled by uh, white supremacy. That's what I worry about. We're in the least racist moment in history. We are in inside of that. On is currently all of us here in the least racist country on the globe, and we are in the least racist moment of our own particular American history. Yeah. I mean, maybe you could argue that ten years ago, you know, you've seen those graphs like in the early two thousands, fifteen years ago, we were somehow. Gallup polls showing moving beyond. Before President Obama. Honestly, yes. If yes. you look at those polls and those graphs, it's what they yeah, show. Absolutely. So um, so the idea that, that, that we have this, this sin that is the definition of everything that's wrong with this country is just – it, it is Joe Biden pandering to divide Americans on the basis of race in order to – and pit us against one another through racial resentment in order for his own personal gain. Well, could you tell me about your podcast? I know you're recording a new, another one today. I did this. I did the Daniel Penny case. I'm really upset and fired up. I did this white supremacist thing that Joe Biden said. I did uh, – it's up this morning. I'm so mad that the media is once again showing pictures of 15-year-old Michael Jackson impersonator um, Jordan Neely, who's the guy that died in his interaction with Marine – former Marine Daniel Penny. It's just such a visual lie yeah. that happens in the media. He was 30 years old, and he was a, a con, been arrested 42 times. Can I tell you one thing before we go? You take a left. That's right. I said it. You take a left, go down the street, you arrive, it'll say the pet rescue. That's it. I'm done. (laughs) Nice. 
See you tonight at 8 with, uh, without Mark Levin on the show. I have a sense. You know what? He would be good booking for you. Not you, anymore. You, meanwhile, would read every page on the Google entry to them. <laughs> Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The China Initiative was an FBI operation that was investigating a spy ring in our colleges and universities, which just about every major university president in America would admit there's a problem. China sends students over here. Uh, they want to volunteer to be in our research and, and development programs. And they steal our intellectual property and send it back to China. This has been happening for a decade. Every university president knows it. But when Joe Biden became president, one of the first things he did was cancel the China initiative because they said it was racially profiling these Chinese students in the United States. Now, why would he do something like that when every major company in America complains about China stealing our intellectual property? And that's what they're saying. James Comer's trying to say when people criticize him, say, well, just show me one thing, one area in which Joe Biden's foreign policy was compromised, possibly about his son's or his family's business dealings. And is it, you have to suspend disbelief to think that Joe Biden didn't know about or play a major role in what's been uncovered so far, the dealings in Romania as well as China, as well as a role in Burisma, his son getting a, a, a place on the board. Remember the meetings with Carlos Slim of Mexico? How shady does that look? Well, here are the guy who did that for a living for a long time, former FBI guy, Mike Rogers, former chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intel. Congressman, welcome back. Brian Kilmeade, it's always good to be back, my friend. So I watched Comer lay things out. I watched every member on the on the committee go and speak a little bit. And then Byron Donalds come out you last week, last Monday, actually, and say, I, I'm in finance my whole life before I get into Congress. There's nobody who has all these red flags up on their transactions, who has all these shell companies set up with no known product that makes you wonder what they're actually selling besides influence that Joe Biden has. What do you think? Well, and uh, I read a report where I think there was as many as nine family members take, yeah. uh, getting pay- overseas payments into accounts of which clearly didn't fit their backgrounds, their, as you say, their no products in those companies. Exactly. Um, you know, in, in the FBI, we would call that a clue. Uh, good place to start. I mean, something is amiss there, and they're going to have to get to the bottom of it. And given the, the complete mistrust the American people is now having with its U.S. government, this is a good opportunity to go in, dig up. If you don't find anything, be honest, say you don't. And if you do, be honest, tell us you do. And I think if they do that, uh, they're probably going to get to – they're going to find something a little goofy. I mean, how does these grandkids getting any sums of money uh, from overseas transactions? None of that uh, smells right. And it looks like you're either, A, using them to circumvent the law – uh, or, or they themselves, uh, you know, maybe may will, willing or witting participants, we're, that would, would be uh, would yet to be determined, I would guess. Mike, is there anything to conclude except, I mean, number one, they talk about policy. Well, why did you get rid of the Chinese initiative? Had that worked to our benefit? Things have gotten so much worse between our countries uh, since Trump left. And he was being tough on them. Then they poisoned the world and denied it. And the president wasn't curious about it. So you could also say that. What about that CEFC company that they're, the Hunter Biden was invested in that he got millions of dollars for and that this guy had an office that Joe Biden had a key to? 
So no smoking gun yet, but man, you have to suspend logic to think there's nothing there. So in the in the big picture, why isn't the FBI more aggressively pursuing this? A four year investigation into his son on gun and tax charges? Yeah, I, that I don't know. I mean, it's it does defy a logic a little bit if they're withholding. And here's the problem. And again, perception is reality. Uh, matter of fact, I'm speaking to the FBI Agents Association this week, and we're going to have a hard conversation. That that perception is reality. If you appear that you are, you have your finger on the scale of justice, it's bad for everybody. And I don't care what party or at what time. It happens to be uh, the party in power right now. However, uh, that doesn't mean the truth shouldn't come out on this. If they were using the offices that their, you know, his father had at the time. Uh, to generate cash that was not quite legal, then we need to understand that, and there needs to be correction taken and justice served. I I just don't know how else you do it. Now, maybe they're, to their defense, they're taking longer because they understand the ramifications of it, and they Uh, want to make sure every I is dotted. Yeah, well, some of these cases can be difficult because the white-collar cases are sometimes harder to prove. Um, because you have to amass so, amass so much evidence, and it tends to be data-driven, technical, uh, uh, that kind of evidence. It's not one guy raises his hand and said, "I, you know, I just saw that guy shoot somebody." They tend to get a lot more complicated than that in the shell companies. But four years is about about long enough, I would argue. So uh, we had an uh, Afghanistan, uh, a guy from Afghanistan, cross on the terrorist watch list over the weekend, and the FBI got involved there. How concerned are you from a security standpoint that we were accepting 10,000 a day, 83,000 for the week, an all-time American record that we never wanted to break? Now it's down to 5,000 a day, probably going to go up again shortly. From your perspective, I mean, is that to me is one of the fundamental jobs of being president, and he's not even interested in doing it. Yeah, and this is why this is a, a problem on a whole host of fronts. A, you mentioned it, the terrorist watch list uh, Afghan that came across. Uh, guess what? The, if you wanted to ha- run uh, intelligence agents from Russia or China, interesting that we saw an uptick in Russian and Chinese crossings at the at the, our southern border. It just makes you ask the question. Doesn't mean they're all spies. No, I, I know that. But what it does mean is you got to have to start asking yourself, do our adversaries understand the weakness of our southern border? The answer is obviously and completely yes. The other uh, fact is, yes, a lot of these refugees are economic refugees. There is a process for that. There's a way to do this. And the longer you continue to provide incentive for the largest human trafficking operation in the history of the world with these people on our southern border, the more you're going to continue to get these things. And no great country can be a great country if you don't understand the people and the things coming across our border. I mean, we understand that people are probably bringing things into the United States, even if they were not necessarily a drug mule. When you get the organized crime, is, is you take uh, you know human traffickers, let's call them that, uh, they also show up on your uh, your doorstep the day uh, you're getting ready to cross and say, oh, by the way, take this package, drop it off over here. I mean, there are so many bad activities that can happen without this lawless with this lawlessness at the border. And then you have the whole public health thing. You know, there uh, is a reason when you go through legally, you have some public health checks to make sure you're not bringing polio back in to the United States or other uh, you know horrible diseases. 
Well, guess what? None of that happens when they just pour across the border in the way that they do. Yeah, it's just crazy that this is happening worse than ever, and the president will not go down or acknowledge it. You have Cinema, Tester, and Manchin, who are in tough races for the Senate, who have all said we should have left Title 42 in place. And I'm sure Senator Brown also is suddenly acting like a moderate. Uh, Congressman, when are you thinking? When are you going to make your decision about whether you want to run or not? Yeah, we're we're still kicking tires. We're having really interesting conversations. I do find that on the ground in you know South Carolina, in Iowa, New Hampshire, the conversations are a little different. They tend now these tend to be activists, uh, but they're more clued into what China, this great China competition that's coming. They're clued into the fact that our schools aren't teaching kids how to read. I mean, last year, 69% of eighth graders in America were not reading proficient, 69%. Hard to compete against China when you can't, uh, we're graduating kids that can't read past the sixth grade level. Uh, and so we're going to keep having these conversations and uh, see how it goes. You know, when the two big elephants are in the grass, you tend not to get in their way. Uh, but there are lots of important conversations to happen. And what we do and what we're offering is very unique uh, solutions to a whole host of really hard cha- uh, American challenges. And we're trying to get our politics bigger than our problems. Uh, and that's hard to do in this environment. But we're going to keep having these conversations uh, and see where it takes us. Right. And it looks like Will Hurd is considering getting in now. I was not thinking about him. He's been a frequent guest. Uh, then we have, uh, it looks like on the 22nd, uh, uh, Tim Scott's going to get involved. He's going to make it official. I think that Ron DeSantis before May is out first week in June. And then Mike Pence uh, probably won't last until the middle of June. He'll be in. Will any of those names stop you or in, uh, increase your chances of getting in? Uh, neither, honestly. We have really focused on uh, – we did this through leadamerica.org. Could we find solutions that get Americans excited about being American again? Uh, could we reignite that passion uh, for the American dream. And so that's our focus. If we believe that there's enough voters who are interested in that more sober but optimistic approach to our problems, uh, then then we'll get in. If we don't think that that's just quite possible, and by the way, you know, the media has its candidates and has its race already planned out. And so all of those candidates are going to have to get through, including me, if I become a candidate, get through that media of, hey, we've got the two big people we would like to run against each other. Uh, that's a challenge. And so we'll see where it goes. We're going to, as I said, we're going to keep kicking those tires, having those meetings and discussions in mm-hmm. places that matter. And so far, and I've said this all along, if people stop inviting me back, well, then I'll stop going back. And so far, we keep uh, continue to get invited back. Yeah, no question. So I want you to hear. So if the question is, no doubt about it, you're going to have to be able to take on Donald Trump to win. Larry Hogan says he didn't want to do that. Maybe he didn't think he'd be successful. He also thought there'd be too many people on the stage to do it. So this is what he said that's wrong with Ron DeSantis' approach. And Ron DeSantis came out and said, we need a winner culture of winning. We want to be able to get things done. He also talked about this, not about entertainment. And suddenly, without mentioning Trump's name, that's how he's approaching it. Larry Hogan says it's all wrong. Cut 16. You talked about Ron DeSantis coming in. I mean, he, you know, he's been trying to out-Trump Trump, and that's not going to work. I mean, it's like, why would you settle for you know, Robin when you can have Batman? It's like, you know, it's, he, you've got to take Trump on and not just be a younger, smarter version of Trump. Do you agree? Well, here's what I do know. We, tr- Trump won six important states in 2016 that he lost in 20. Uh, we ran the we Republicans ran Trump, Trump light kind of Trump styled candidates 
in those six states, and we got shellacked in all six states. I worry that any any factor of those Trump, Trump-like, Trump-style candidates in 2024 are going to have a huge hurdle to get over. And remember, if you're going to get something done, you got to get a few independents to come with you. It cannot be only our party. And I think big changes happen when you uh, a force the issue, show some leadership, uh, and also bring those independents along. And, and the Democrats who are fed up with the Democrat Party, who's increasingly moving to the left in a way that's leaving a lot of the Democrats I grew up with in Michigan behind. Mm. So lastly, Mike, uh, the 51 intel experts, including four former heads of the CIA, some of which associated with Republican administrations, uh, that said that that laptop was classic Russian disinformation. How does that happen? How would someone put their lifetime and their reputation on the line for something they couldn't examine that they didn't even follow up on? Not even a call to Joe Biden to say, hey, is this your son's laptop? Does it astound you for a guy that spent the first half of his career in intelligence, was on the permanent select committee? Uh, Yes, and unfortunately, there's some of those people on that list uh, were our personal friends of mine. I have not even talked to him about it. I, I am so disappointed. And my understanding is the first email that went out said in the email that there was uh, the the vice president, Joe Biden at the time, needed a talking point. Yeah. Uh, And that, to me, should have been the red flag for any one of those professionals, many of which would, you know, I wasn't even sure what their political beliefs were up to that point. That's what's so concerning to me, that they kind of nibbled on that thing, knowing it was going to be a talking point for a political run. And by the way, he used that letter in his debate. That's I mean, that's all of that's just wrong. And it just keeps feeding the right. fire of mistrust of the intelligence business. And by the way, if you want to avoid a war, you have the best, most aggressive, most modern intelligence service in the world because we have some really tough competitors. You don't do it by continuing to breed this mistrust in the intelligence products that are getting produced. And that's really concerning for me. Yeah, I just said, I know you, when you get in there, uh, Mike, if you ever get in there and you win that seat, you got to clean up the intel agencies. And meanwhile, they're going to try to blow you up at the same time. That's pretty clear. Um, crazy times. Mike Rogers, thanks, uh, thanks so much. And hope you're able to uh, let us know when you, when, when you make that decision. Sounds sounds good, Brian. Thanks for thanks for having me. Appreciate you got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, I'll be taking your calls only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Title 42 is required to be lifted Mm -hmm. by law, right? Title 42 allows you during a pandemic to stop individuals from presenting at the board and and applying for asylum. And now that the pandemic is over, the president doesn't have discretion to keep Title 42 in place. So for all these Republicans who are complaining that the president acts outside of his authority, in this case, they seemingly want him to violate the law and turn people around at the border. So... What's happening at the border is I feel like it's being totally manipulated. Uh, So you had uh, Senator Chris Murphy talk about the uh, president had no authority or discretion to keep Title 42 in place. That's totally not true. He easily could have kept it in place, would have had no repercussions of it or a facsimile of and would have been green lighted. 
you could say you leave it in place for emergency situations. Why was he extended three other times? And the bottom line is he had no interest in keeping it in place because he wants more people to come through. The chaos makes it look bad. I was fascinated to see on Meet the Press, their panel basically said, listen, no matter how you slice it, the president will not look good with immigration. Yeah, he won't look good. This is totally self-imposed. And one question was from Jonathan Carl to the uh, to Mayorkas. Wasn't the vice president supposed to be in charge of the border? And Mayorkas said, yeah, root causes. Well, where was she? The root causes? Yeah. How about being in Mexico, Ecuador, Guatemala, Brazil, Argentina? Where are you? Shuttling back and forth. You know where she was? She was at a get-together, not even a fundraiser. They would raise funds, but a get-together, kind of a spring outing with the Democratic Party in Atlanta. I'd be embarrassed if that was the case with me. But now they're taking a bow. Here's Murphy talking about uh, if the president's actually engaged on this. Listen, cut five. The president has not been sitting on his hands like Republicans would allege. The president has actively has been actively engaged in trying to manage this crisis. He has negotiated important agreements with Mexico so that Mexico takes more of these migrants. He has surged thousands of troops and asylum officials and Border Patrol. All right. Number one, he has been not in emergency talks in Mexico. He had a conference where he didn't even bring up the border face-to-face when he was in Mexico City, number one. He had a conversation an hour long the day before, uh, the last week at some point. That is not an urgent meeting with somebody with his hands on the pulse of the area. Where are the 20,000 Marines that were there during the Trump years? Where were the threats of terrorists if you don't rein in the drugs and rein in the border? None of that. Where was the vice president? Anywhere. No, nowhere. Where was the secretary of state? This is a foreign affairs problem. You have all those countries that I mentioned. The secretary of state could putting pressure on. I don't see uh, Anthony blinking anywhere. The president wants this to go away. He had to be forced to get to the border. And now he wants this whole border thing to go away. But the problem is it's not because the whole world is coming here. The same world, the same country that he says is the number one problem problem is white supremacy. That's why all those minorities come here. They just don't know it yet. From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade right here. Hope you had a fantastic Mother's Day and you're back in action today. If you're in the Northeast, I know you had a great weather to deal with. Michael Goodwin knows all about that. He writes for the New York Post. He'll be with us shortly. David Avella, bottom of the hour, GOPAC chair. He's got to be intrigued about what took place over the weekend in Iowa, along with what happened last week in New Hampshire with a certain other network. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Put a Republican in there. What if it had been, you know, Jenny, Jenna Bush had been hired while her father was president or Liz Cheney had been hired while her father was vice president? Would we say there's something stinky here? I love that term. Yep. Hunter, swing and a miss. Really? Not so fast. James Comer crew on oversight. Will the rest of the media pay attention to Biden pay for play scheme? Will we finally find out why the Bidens were making so much money with no perceived skill or talent? Number two. 
And at the end of the day, governing is not about entertaining. Governing is not about building a brand or talking on social media and virtue signaling. It's ultimately about winning and about producing results. That is a message from Ron DeSantis, two speeches and an ad lib appearance in in Des Moines to cap off his Saturday. 2024 is getting fun. Donald Trump had to own the week and he did. Oh, that town hall. But the weekend belonged to Ron DeSantis. And oh, yeah, the president goes even lower than low in his commencement address uh, at Howard University. We'll discuss it. Number one. I think things are going at the border, sir. Much better than much, much better than you all expected. <laughs> Do you have any plans to visit the border? Not in the near term, no. Perilous times at the southern border. Facilities filled to triple capacity. Records set for apprehensions last week in cities, battle, counties on where the tens of thousands of illegals will be housed and absorbed in. Title 42 is gone. Title 8 is in. And so far, the numbers are in half from 10,000 today to 5,000. So have we solved the problem, Michael Goodwin? Is immigration at the border fine? Oh, yes, Brian. Everything's hunky-dory now. It's uh, amazing that uh, Mayorkas was saying this last uh, yesterday. Cut to. Are you complying with that, uh, with that ruling? We are. We have an obligation to comply with that ruling. We respectfully disagree with the, with the judge. We think it's a very harmful ruling. When, in fact, our Border Patrol stations become overcrowded, it is a matter of the safety and security of people, including our own personnel, not just the vulnerable migrants, to be able to release them. And this is something that administration after administration has done. So what Mayorkas is referring to is the fact that judge in Florida and soon to be in Texas has ruled that it is not okay for you to not process people and just tell them to find an ICE station in 10 days. The judge goes, that's incredibly irresponsible. And then they said it's sabotage for the, for the Republicans and this judge to do what he did. Well, Brian, it's a little bit like the old Moynihan statement of uh, defining deviancy down. Uh, Their initial deviancy here is that uh, the Border Patrol has been reduced to clerks, where they just take down your information and release you. Uh, And there's no real vetting going on. There's no real checking even of identification. We don't know who these people are. We didn't cases know what country they're from. So now there's so many people, there isn't even time to do all that. So you just lock them up and then you release them. And that's what he's mad about. That's what my orcas is, is respectfully disagrees with the judge on, he, that this is what we have to do to prevent injury, right? The old we're going to safety first right. here. Safety first. The, you may be releasing killers into the country. How is that safe? Uh, I think anything that slows this down is ultimately a good thing. This is just too much for the country to digest. It's it's too big of a population that's moving here in the middle of the night, all around the daytime, just constant flow of people into the country. We don't know who they are. Uh, well, let, me re- let me read to you what the judge said after he was told his ruling was sabotage. Uh, you go, the ignorant and dangerous rhetoric ignores the fact that the evidence uh, presented in this case shows that the chaos that the president acknowledged has been going on at the southern border for a number of years is largely a problem of the defendants, the administration's own making. If it is sabotaged for a federal court to tell the federal government it must comply with the law, then so be it. 
That's good. That's a very strong statement from a judge in response to the administration. And look, uh, Brian, what has happened at the border is is almost beyond belief. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I think I've mentioned to you before that there are times where I just can't stand to read the stories because they make me so not just angry but helpless about what do we do about this because this is now a problem for a generation. You have taken in five to six million people. Many of them, at least a quarter of them, you don't even know who they are. They didn't even bother to give you a fake name because they just rushed around the agents. So they're in the country. We have never seen this level of of illegality. And most of the rest claiming asylum will not qualify under the law as it is now, which is religious, ethnic, um, political persecution. Yeah, because you, don't like, because, you, for, because you don't like your bad government in Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela. That's not new. And they say right. this is a big migration crisis. No, no, these countries have been doing this for 20 years. But now they say it's go time. So for people around the country, you should know this. The ripple effects are being felt in New York more than any place else. 140 sites have been set up on the taxpayer dollar. Eight mega shelters have been opened up in the city. And now New York City is arbitrarily shipping people around the the state. They have now sent them over to Orange County and Rockland County against their will. I guess they're bribing these hotels like the Crossroads Hotel in Newburgh who are kicking out everybody, including stopping weddings, say, go find another venue. And they kicked out 20 veterans, homeless veterans, who are being put up there. I mean, this is unbelievable. Well, the numbers are just overwhelming. That's what it is. It's it's a numbers game. The, the country cannot handle this. Uh, I mean, I read a story the other day in the Boston Globe, the lead story in the Boston Globe, migrants overwhelming uh, Massachusetts officials. So it's happening around the country. It's sort of you can almost follow it, you know, in real time as the, as the migrants move from city and city to place to place. They're just going to overwhelm every facility where they go because there are so many of them. And it's guess- just a numbers game that the country can't. And now they're converting gyms in Coney Island, and uh, and they're taking over. Uh, oh, by the way, what are you going to do in Coney Island after you sleep? Uh, there's nothing for you to do. Uh, just you're not able to play basketball. Hey, be careful there. Be careful. There, but Brian. but you got to be able to work in the city. You got to be able to walk around, apply for a job. They're going to well, put them in JFK work, at the hangar. That's the thing. You can't work. And so what the what the Democrats are doing? Say Governor Hochul in New York. They're saying. You, we have to speed up. The federal government has to speed up work authorization. And she said, we're going to put them on a path to citizenship. So you come into the country illegally. The government, you're so many of you, the government will speed up work authorization papers for you. So you'll be undercutting American citizens and immigrants who played by the rules. Oh, and we'll put you on a path to citizenship, too. I mean, what is the purpose of waiting for a visa? You don't need one, as it turns out. All of you people who stood in line yeah. at foreign consulates and at the airports, you, you're fools. You're suckers. You played by the rules. 
generations of you. You should have just rushed the border. Some nice man like Joe Biden and Mayorkas and all those AOCs, they would have cried if you were stopped. So we're going to just let you in. Take over the country. Go right ahead. So you, you wrote in your column this week, the protection racket, basically the media plays duck and cover with Joe Biden. Because look at his policies. we got stubborn inflation. They said that wasn't going to happen. they got economic growth at 1%. Now you have a situation where the border is totally broken. You have China on the move, a foreign policy in tatters. And now you have the media just basically ignoring it. Here's the biggest thing. Remember that picture of that child of one and a half years old uh, basically grabbing at their mother's leg because the mother was told they have to leave and separate the families? That was quickly abandoned after two and a half weeks with the president, the former president of the United States. We have lost track of 80 plus thousand children in our country. Nobody even brings that up today. Well, and there have been thousands who died en route because of this open border. Uh, it, it, it is not humane. It is not a humane process. It is not a humane situation. But uh, look, uh, in the column that you referenced, I focused on two main areas, which is uh, the border, right? And the New York Times writing that it's beyond anyone's control factors. I mean, I, I was surprised they didn't include climate change. But in today's story, they include climate change as one of the factors making the border yeah, beyond control. Um, and the second issue, of course, is the corruption, the Biden family corruption, how the media has covered up for that. The New York Times last week said that uh, a four-month uh, inquiry by Republicans fails to find any wrongdoing by president. But, you know, tucked in that story, Brian, it says the president has given false and misleading statements in some cases. Oh, really? Well, why would that be? And if since you've authenticated the laptop, why don't you follow the reporting? I mean, the, the media is just stuck. They don't know what to do. Biden has created so many problems for them that they're contorting themselves trying to protect him. I mean, it's really shameful what's happened. Uh, Jonathan Turley asked the question, do we have a state media now? Is that what we're witnessing, the way they are covering up this corruption especially? Yeah, I know what you do talk about, too, is they talk about Donald Trump. When in doubt, you talk about Donald Trump. That's why Wednesday's town hall was a gift for Trump and a gift for other people to cover and say how outrageous it is and kind of overwhelm the, the collapsing border and Joe Biden's collapsing intellect, which it's uh, falling apart before our eyes. Now, one thing that people are forgetting about is they're trying to rehab the vice president. And they're asking the they're putting her in all spots. They're going to let her going to do the, give the commencement address at West Point. What a disappointment that's got to be. She oh, has God. no link at all to the military. But Jonathan Carl couldn't avoid the question. Listen to the ridiculous answer. Cut three. It was back in, in two years ago, more than two years ago, uh, that uh, the president put Vice President Kamala Harris in. Uh, uh, playing a critical role in terms of trying to stop the flow of migrants across the border. Where has Vice President Harris been on this? Are you in regular contact with her? When was the last time you spoke to her? Um, uh, Vice President Biden, uh, Vice President Harris reached out to me uh, earlier this week. Uh, That uh, effort is a years-long effort, and Vice President Harris has led the investment of more than $3 billion dollars in the Northern Triangle countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Wow. So they open up a target in in Guatemala. That'll be great. And you can go right there to the Home Depot. 
So you fantastic. My orchestra is beginning to sound like Anthony Fauci. Absolutely. He's the, he, he's the Anthony Fauci of immigration. I think that's your next column. I'm, I'm sensing it. I can smell it, Michael. That's 100%. Everything he says is wrong and gets you angrier the more he speaks. But he just keeps doing it because there is an audience, and the audience is, you know, the Democratic media, which is there to support the administration. I mean, look, Brian, I think we're at one of those great moments in history, and great meaning huge, not good, uh, where we're seeing a change, a, a dramatic change in an institution, in the institution of the media. You know, we talk a lot about democracy, and of course I know we're a democratic republic, not a democracy, strictly speaking. But however you frame that description of America, it depends on an informed voter. It depends on an informed citizenry. And when you don't have that, when you have a misinformed citizenry, then you, whatever you call the outcome of your elections, they're not strictly democratic because they have been guided by the state. The state has pushed the argument and the media has amplified it. And so we don't really have an informed citizenry. We have a disinformation media complex, which which is designed not to tell people the truth, but to determine an outcome that mm. they favor and that the state favors. I mean, look, Brian, you and I have lived through one of the most remarkable transformations where the media, which used to be in the forefront of the battle for free speech, has now become the cheerleader for censorship. I mean, it's, it's a crazy. remarkable thing that's happened in our country. Yeah, I just think it was almost funny when Byron Donald says, you want to pull it to a prize? Follow the follow the Biden money trail. Go yeah. ahead, anybody. And all they said was, "Well, swing and a miss, swing and a miss." They yeah. hit everything, and they're getting closer and closer to the big guy. Michael, thanks uh, so much. I agree with you. I think I think Joe Biden is in for a fall. I do too. M Goodwin underscore NY Post. Thanks, Michael. My pleasure, Brian. All right, we're going to come back. I see the lines. Uh, they're jammed, one 408 And then David Avella is here from GoPack. He's chairperson, GOP strategist. Before he hops on, outnumbered. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Everyone can write me at briankilmeade.com or call 1-866-408-7669. I just got this in. Talk about outrageous. I told you they're converting grammar schools and putting gyms. I told you what they're doing at old hotels. Now get this. They are going. Mayor Adams is planning to house recent arrivals in the housing sector at SUNY Maritime under the Throgs Neck Bridge. A historic facility. It's very disturbing as a parent uh, of two student cadets. Unbelievable. They'll just put people anywhere. Ron, listen to WABC on Long Island. Hey, Ron. Hey, how are you? Good. I hope that you can hear me okay. What's on your mind? So I'm wondering with everything that's going on, with all of this right in our face, mal and nonfeasance of duty on behalf of our government, DOJ, FBI, uh, even the governors of the states, the mayors, the district attorneys, assistant, uh, and this and that, 
And as Americans, we can't make citizens arrest, so we just have to sit here and grin and bear it and talk to each other and say, this is crazy. How come we don't just all rise up and do something? And then everyone looks at each other and says, look what they did to the people on January 6th. Um, well, a couple of things, Ron. You, you see, you know, right now the mayor has flipped. He's no longer taking the side of let's just wait and see and let the court case play out when it comes to the 24-year-old Marine and the schizophrenic lunatic on the subway that sadly lost his life. So he's getting he's getting blowback for not taking the position. So he quickly flipped that position. You know, they uh, he was giving a commencement address at a at a city college, and he, they turned their back and booed him. Uh, when he walked on stage and talked about that. So not only are people not fed up with the crime and overrun of illegal immigrants in the city, uh, they're mad at this mayor for not being more uh, more liberal. Uh, and the same thing in San Francisco. In Chicago, they just elected a mayor that's more liberal than the crazy one they had before. So they're allowing, these DAs and these mayors are allowing crime to run rampant. And people are basically are told, go jump in a lake, deal with it, or move. And so many are deciding, I'm just going to move. So it's just crazy what's going on here. All preventable, all man-made disasters. This is no hurricane. Uh, Listen, when we come back inside the GOP. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. And at the end of the day, governing is not about entertaining. Governing is not about building a brand or, or, or... talking on social media and virtue signaling. It's ultimately about winning and about producing results. That is uh, Governor DeSantis talked about winning. That's a shot at Trump. He also talked about not about branding, a shot at Trump. Uh, He also talked about trustworthy. That's a shot at Trump, but not taking him on directly. After all, the governor of Florida is not technically in. David Avella is with us, back with us, GOPAC chair, GOP strategist. David, good to see you again. Good to see you. So I think Donald Trump owned the week after the town hall, but the weekend belonged to Governor DeSantis, didn't it, in Iowa? He focused on a message Republicans like, which is winning, as all Americans like winners. DeSantis framed it in kind of the election side of winning, the way you win elections is by having ideas that people say that's what we want and how he brought more republic more voters into the republican coalition whether it would be what happened in florida with with his victory or you look at what brian kemp did in georgia uh, you look at what joe lombardo did in nevada and it was their ideas that brought and their ultimately their accomplishments that brought more voters into the republican election side and that's what voters want so, yeah, uh, just to talk about gamesmanship and tactics, uh, Donald Trump's tactic was the minute I declare, I've, I have eyed Governor DeSantis, my main opponent. So I'm going to say that Florida is not a good place, not a good place to be, which is tough. Uh, Ron DeSantis needs a personality transplant. Ron DeSantis eats pudding with his fingers. And uh, Ron DeSantis uh, begged me for an endorsement or else he never would have won the governorship. That's fine. That's what you want to spend your money on. Well, Dove, Governor DeSantis did a an interesting thing, made a surprise move to Des Moines to talk to voters at Jethro's Barbecue Southside. You know, it was just a couple of miles from there, the place where Donald Trump was supposed to have his event, but weather prevented him from doing it. He decided not to. That's a pretty good move for DeSantis yeah. to change his schedule and add that to his stops, uh, right? It's the for, for folks like you and I, it's the stuff we love to watch and analyze and talk about. Um, and it was uh, you can see the DeSantis campaign is trying to hone in and make them uh, make DeSantis uh, the heir 
as the one who can defeat Trump. Um, and he's getting his look right now at voters. And we'll see if he has the staying power. I, I always remind folks, look, only 46 people have become president of the United States. This is very hard. DeSantis is getting his chance uh, to show that he can defeat President Trump for the nomination. If he stumbles, someone else is going to be. And guess what? President Trump will then be attacking them. Right. Uh, the thing that I disagree with, I disagree with the Trump's attacks on Florida. He's done a great job in Florida. He said, well, I wasn't that great on the COVID virus. Uh, the president, oh, excuse me, the Sanders was great on the COVID virus. And I don't fault the president either. We're dealing with the pandemic first time in 100 years. You have these doctors breathing down your neck. So we had to make a lot of decisions. I don't think President Trump should be vulnerable on the border and not finishing the wall. We know the ramifications, why that was done. He had the repurposed defense money. Mm-hmm. We, I don't think he should be held responsible for China. Because he was hard on China. Nobody anticipated that pandemic. And he was the first one to say, we're cutting off flights. So Sununu and Christie are going after him on that. So here is Christie yes, uh, yeah, yesterday on ABC Cut 15. You can't beat Donald Trump by playing bumper pool and hitting it off three cushions and hope that it goes in, if it goes in the hole. Um, it's, that's not the way it works, John. And I think they're all making a marked mistake. As to the audience reaction, let's face it, CNN went in the tank to get Trump on there. They allowed him to negotiate who was going to be in that audience. And that's what people are complaining about, the audience. Uh, the audience was, were Republicans. It was a GOP. It was supposed to be a GOP town hall. It should not be a surprise that they're cheering him. It's, it's head-scratching to see some of this reaction, even from Republicans, about that town hall. This is exactly what we saw in 2016. This is exactly what we saw the four years of uh, the Trump administration, that Donald Trump plays by his rules and that he is going to say what he believes, and you can like it or, or not like it. Now, for the president, uh, if 24 primary becomes about – the results of the 2020 election, he makes himself very vulnerable. If we start again talking about the 2020 election, that does not put our best foot forward to winning in 2024. We have to start thinking about 2024 and moving forward. And for a smart Republican, that's what they're going to focus on. You know, what they did is what Trump did is answer the questions. You know, he didn't want to talk about uh, January 6th, but he was asked like 20 questions about that. Then he didn't want to talk about the past, but he was asked about that. But it would have been so asked about the border and child separation policies. When it comes to 2020, just go, yeah, uh, 2020, you know how I feel about it. It's been well documented. But let me just tell you about 2024. I'm leading it by eight point in the last poll. Why haven't you brought that up? And then when it comes to what's happening at the border, child separation policies, I think I'm thinking, but kind of rich that you're asking me about something that I stopped in the middle of my mm-hmm. term when we can't find 85,000 kids under Joe Biden just lost somewhere in our country, and two died over the weekend, by the way. You you mentioned uh, the border and the COVID on the president's accomplishments from 16 to 20. You forgot the economy, that you had a record uh, income for individuals. You had more businesses bringing their tax dollars back to U.S. soil that if you think about some of the moves the Biden administration is making, you could see companies wanting to shelter their funds again offshore thus hurting economic development here in the country. I mean, there are many things Republicans can tout uh, about, and we need to be doing it. Not only that, what we did at the federal level uh, during the Trump administration, but also uh, what's been happening at the state level. David Arvell, our guest, and we'll talk about that. But Joe Biden did something, I would be honest, I would think is so obvious pandering he wouldn't even do it. He's in front of, uh, he's in front of an HBCU. It's Howard University, historically black college. 
And this is what he says, cut 13. The harsh reality that racism has long torn us apart. It's a battle that's never really over. But on the best days, enough of us have the guts and the hearts to stand up for the best in us. To stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. Let me, is this the guy bringing us together? There's no stat that brings that up. Uh, why you would do that is beyond me. I guess it's because he's losing the black vote and he thought this is a great opportunity to reaffirm it. But don't they see pandering? Can't they spot that? Well, it's certainly the results of surveys show that the president's coalition is falling apart. Uh, he is struggling with base Democratic voters. And it's why you constantly have this drumbeat and this drip, drip, drip of Democrats who throw out other candidates' names. I mean, for a while it was, well, Joe Manchin might take him on in the primary. You, of course, you have our Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running. Uh, t- today in the Wall Street Journal, you have Doug Schoen promoting Michelle Obama as a nominee. Look, Democrats understand they have a very weak president to go up for reelection. And until he actually secures the nomination, you're going to have Democrats want to go a different direction. Yeah, just uh, real interesting. The last thing is the links on the on the Biden businesses and Joe Biden. We know he lied. We looked in the camera and said 51 intel experts said it is his classic Russian disinformation. He flat out lied. He knew it was his son's laptop, knew the communications was real, had no problem doing that. And now we see these family businesses that took place over the last 20 years, at least 10 shell companies, three different nations, two of which are enemies of ours, especially uh, the one in China. The only type of thing, service they could be providing is the influence their dad has. But they're at the they're at the one foot line and the media doesn't even want to investigate the point to get into the end zone. Oh. Do you think that plays a role? It plays a role. Uh, again, you're. As you think about 2024, it's ultimately going to be about who puts a better vision together. And we we know uh, President Biden is lacking in every major area, whether it be economic. Six in 10 Americans uh, are disapprove of how the president is handling uh, the economy, whether it be foreign policy, where uh, the majority of Americans don't like his foreign policies. In every area, this president is weak and you see his coalitions falling apart. So you um, talked about voting and how people execute. So you might have the popular vote or you might be on momentum, have a lot of momentum, but who's got the districts in Wisconsin that are vulnerable? Who's going to do the work in Pennsylvania and get the vote out? Who's going to show up in Arizona and try to get that state back? And who's going to make sure that Ohio stays in your column? And if you want the Senate Republicans, you've got to find a way to beat Senator Brown, I would think. So you did a poll. And you said on the preferred voting method of the Republicans prefer 54 percent prefer voting on Election Day, 22 percent early in in person early voting and 5 percent early via Dropbox, 17 percent early by mail on an openness, which is key to voting early. uh, The majority of Republicans on voting early, uh, 56 percent said yes, they're open to it. 37 percent saying no. Why is that important? It's important because we have to do everything we can to get Republicans to cast their vote, use every method that is possible. You know, Democrats have used it in the last couple of elections. You know, the great irony to all this, Brian, is we used to master Republicans, uh, the early voting, uh, particularly the military ballots and making sure that we had that as to our advantage. The Democrats uh, utilized technology, uh, kind of passed us on that. And 
we have to get back to saying to voters, whatever the method is, whether it's whether it's uh, early voting, whether it's absentee voting, whether it's voting on Election Day, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to cast your vote. It is good to see that uh, 56 percent of Republicans are open to early voting or voting by mail. Because that's where it's trending. And sooner or later, you've got to stop complaining to the refs and just play the game that's the way right. the new rules are. That's right. And that's simply it. You may like it the old way. And do you think that one of the key was uh, reasons for this was Donald Trump, the leader of the Republicans, saying, don't, I want you voting on election day, don't trust it. And that's the problem. What happens to my ballot once I put it in? Mm-hmm. You have a lot of Republican secretary of states that are good examples, whether it be Frank LaRose in Ohio or Mac Warner in West Virginia, we, where you're able to track your ballot all the way through the process, yeah. ballot tracking. Uh, there are good ideas out there to show Republicans and all voters that elections are secure, and that that should be our message. And we should say, go vote early. Right. You should, uh, I guess, go vote early just to make sure it's counting. You could track it. That'll be great. Where do you stand on ballot harvesting? Because I understand Republicans are doing it in states where it's allowed, even though by definition, I hate it. I mean, you go to pick, go to a nursing home, you go pick up a bunch of ballots because you're a good Samaritan, and you drop it off at a voting location. There's something fundamentally problematic about that. Well, you have to make sure the systems are in place that the actual voter cast the ballot and that you uh, the rules are in place that, that are followed to make sure that that ballot stays secure once the voter has has cast it and that it's actually getting voted. So David Avell is here from GoPack. He's the chair. David, uh, the key is Florida was the laughing stock of the country for about 20 years. Yeah. They fixed it. They did. Uh, Ohio, solid always been a battleground. Arizona hasn't. Georgia has. So what has Arizona making any effort that you can tell, not that it's your job, to make their voting system something that could actually give us a give us a result on voting day or someday within two weeks? Keep in mind that the current governor is the former secretary of state who put many of these procedures in place now uh, that uh, Arizona lives under. Look, Republicans need to keep a focus on message of we need to make sure the voter rolls are clean. That's the number number one thing we can do to make sure our, our vote votes are uh, secure. Who's dead? Who moved? That's right. And, and there, you were able to do that. And you know, that's why you see a number of Republicans uh, states moving away from the ERIC system, the big national voting database, uh, because you have Democratic state. Uh, Secretary of States who don't want to clean up the voter rolls. They want everybody to stay on it no matter whether you've moved or you've passed away or whatever the circumstances. And Republicans say, no, we ought to make sure that voter rolls are clean and that eligible voters are actually the one casting the What other state worries you? For 24? Well, you have to look at Michigan. You have to look at Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. I mean, it really is. Those are the states that President Trump won in 16 that he lost in 20. And then you have to make sure you hold on to North Carolina, Georgia, and Arizona. What do you pick up from Fetterman winning? Obviously, you got this great intellect, this wonderful surgeon, this fantastic talk show host, and Dr. Oz. And then you have Fetterman, who sadly has a stroke and is even worse than we ever thought, was able to not campaign, raise money, and win. And he still really can't do the job. What does that tell you about the system that Pennsylvania put in place? Well, it goes to what we were just talking about with the GOPEC Education Fund poll. You have to make sure folks are casting their ballot. We have to be much more aggressive uh, with Republican voters to get those get those votes in. Uh, get re- Republicans re- signed up for early voting or absentee voting or vote by mail. However, whatever the law allows, 
We have to do a better job at making sure our folks go to the ballot box and cast votes. Right. You don't think Pennsylvania flipped for good. It was a get-out-the-vote no. issue. I think it was partly a, a get-out-the-vote issue, yes. I think partly messaging, uh, environment. And Mastriano was a terrible candidate. That's right. And when you have a terrible candidate right. on top, you probably go straight down the line. You don't go to Dr. Oz. That's right. And you also have to acknowledge that Pennsylvania is a winnable state for Republicans. It favors the Dems. It's huge, too. Yeah. Uh, David, thanks so much. We'll look forward to you on Varney and thanks. Harris Faulkner. Can yeah. you do both? I can. I'm on my way. All right, good. Uh, David, well, thanks. And guess what? You're next. one 408 What did Al Sharpton say about Ron DeSantis? You'll find out. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. More and more every day, people are taking DeSantis less seriously. Uh, He's like a baby in a crib with a rattle wanting to be like daddy. More than he looks like an adult that belongs in the living room sitting around having a discussion. I think it will come down to Biden and Trump unless something dramatically happens. And I think the more we see the tirades of Donald Trump on Mother's Day, no less, the more it reminds people, wait a minute, I don't want to go back there. And I think that that is uh, one of the assets that Joe Biden has aside from some of his achievements right. as president. Uh, believe me, uh, don't think that Governor DeSantis is worried about Joe Biden. It's can he get through Trump? Alex in California. Hey, Alex. Alex, thanks for uh, waiting around. What's on your mind? All right. Um, what Ralph Sharpton, I think, is trying to do, he's trying to say that Ron DeSantis is not ready for Trump. But I guess he's saying that DeSantis isn't ready for a Biden either. When head to head, they basically have the same distance. I I don't I, I kind of laugh at people that say this is the way you fight Trump. Even Governor Chris Christie, as brilliant as he is as a politician and analyst, I don't think there is a way to beat Trump. There is you can beat him, but I don't necessarily think there's a formula or a past candidate where you say this work with him. For example, if you attack, you play in his game, but he'll do it better. If you want to talk about his record, his people are going to get defensive about it. So what you got to do, I think, is what Larry Elder said last night. And I'm not saying that Larry Elder is going to win the nomination by a long shot. But Larry Elder told Steve Hilton this. He said, all across the country, family members aren't talking to family members. Friends aren't talking to friends uh, anymore because of Donald Trump. Where no matter where you stand, he said, I love Donald Trump, love his policies, but he divided the country. I can, you could get the policies with me without the hate or without the anger or without the disdain, and I won't be dividing families. He goes, I have a sense of humor. I have a unique background. I'm a little bit younger. That's your answer. Now, if you're on the Sanders, you're a lot younger. Uh, you maybe don't have the warmth of a Bill Clinton or George W. Bush. Got it. But he's pretty proud of his record five years in. He knows how to legislate, understands Washington being a congressman, got the military background, he's got the legal background, he understands our history, that's what he could be selling. And when engaged, you engage. But I don't think going after Donald Trump personally, even if he goes after you, necessarily works. 
from high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. This is the epicenter now. Outside the border, the second hot spot for illegal immigration has been here. I mean, you're talking about over 60,000 illegal immigrants, and we have nowhere to put them. 144 facilities in eight special uh, buildings have been put aside, and it's growing for illegal immigrants. And we got to feed them, we got to house them. And in many cases, especially last night, it looks like we had to break up another drunken fight at a big facility, five of which had to go into the hospital, where, of course, they're treated for free. It is insane how many buses come here, and I don't blame Texas. What do you want them to do? Let their whole state get steamrolled because the president of the United States doesn't want to do his job? And for the mayor to stand up and say a few things against this White House and now is taken off his reelection committee, I'm talking about Mayor Adams, at the same time going halfway. You should not be taking these illegal immigrants and throwing them into Orange County hotels, which is a suburban hotel about 30 miles outside the city, or Newburgh or, or Rockland and soon to be Nassau. It's insane what's happening. And Chicago can't seem to handle about uh, a couple of dozen. They're putting them in police stations, which is a total affront to police, just showing so disrespect there. With me right now is a man who lives this and is seething about it, Tom Homan, retired acting ICE director, Heritage Foundation visiting fellow. Tom, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Hey, uh, it looks like a uh, mission accomplished, it seems like. Listen to the President of the United States. Now that Title Eight is taken over Title 42, cut one. I think things are going at the border, sir. Much, better than, much, much better than you all expected. <laughs> Do you have any plans to visit no, the border? No, I think. Pardon me? Do you have any plans to visit the border? Not in the near term, no. No, it'll just be disruptive, not anything else. So instead of 10,000 a day, they got 5,000, and Mayorkas is taking a bow. Should he be taking a bow, Tom? No, you know, if they're playing a shell game, the number of people coming in this country has not dropped at all. I, I know for a fact they got NGOs, <clears throat> government-funded NGOs in Mexico meeting with thousands of illegal aliens and, getting them, and helping them fill out the CBP-1 app and putting them through a port of entry. Now, the border numbers, illegal crossing may be down a, a, a slightly, they say 50%. It's nowhere near that. However, the the illegal a- aliens coming through a port of entry is up 250%. So what they're doing is basically playing a shell game. The secretary created this program, CBP-1 app, so people can apply for asylum. And simply even just walk through a port of entry, which is holding up, you know, legal entries in, in trade and travel. But they just simply shifted the population to port of entries, and they're up 250%. Now, I'll tell you, the border numbers may be a little down right now, but they'll be going back up. Once they figure out, the, Mex- the, now the Haitians, uh, the, 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 the three, the three uh, Central American countries, uh, Venezuela and others, they're south of the border trying to figure out where to get into the country because Texas governor is doing such a great job, the DPS, the National Guard, of holding the line. Now, now the cartels down there are trying to think of a strategy where they can enter. So give it a few weeks, and you're going to see the numbers go back up. But let it be known that they're playing a shell game. They simply are making illegal immigration legal by letting them come through the port of entry. And, and again, these people won't show up in court. And if they, and if they get a court date, it will be seven, eight years down the road. By then, they'll have U.S. citizen kids, and nobody want, no one is going to want them removed. 
This is nothing but a shell game by this administration. The number of people coming to this country has not reduced at all. So I want you to hear what uh, Senator Murphy said, that they had no choice but to get rid of Title 42. Cut for it. Title 42 is required to be lifted Mm -hmm. by law, right? Title 42 allows you during a pandemic to stop individuals from presenting at the border and applying for asylum. And now that the pandemic is over, the president doesn't have discretion to keep Title 42 in place. So for all these Republicans who are complaining that the president acts outside of his authority, in this case, they seemingly want him to violate the law and turn people around at the border. So he had no choice, Tom Holman? Well, look, here's what I say to that. They have a choice to remain in Mexico. They could have very easily remained in Mexico as a game changer for us under the Trump administration. The federal courts have ruled that it's legal. Matter of fact, the federal courts ordered the Biden administration put it back in, put the policy back in place, which they never did, because this administration simply doesn't care what the federal courts say. They've ignored it. They violated the law. So, regardless of Title 42, they could put the Remain in Mexico program back in today, and make, and make a huge, huge dent and the illegal alien population coming across that border. We proved it on the Trump administration. That was the biggest game changer of all the policies, the third safe country agreement, you know, you know the, the, the building the wall, and, and remain in Mexico. Remain in Mexico was the biggest game changer of, of everything we did on the Trump administration. The courts have said it's legal. So if this administration wants to secure the border like they say they want to, they can put Remain in Mexico program back in. People can still claim asylum, but they're going to wait for their hearings in Mexico rather than being released and not showing up in court. And, and by the way, the Mexican government, Arbador was the last one to uh, to say that Donald Trump lost the election. He wanted to hold out. I think they got along. And so far, he has done nothing at his southern border to help our southern border, correct? Because we got a president who doesn't have a spine. President Trump used a lot of box stick. Look, people are going to think they want about President Trump. I worked for the man. The man was a game changer in the, on, on the southwest border. He did more to secure our border than anybody. Illegal immigration was down 83%. Illegal immigration at a 45-year low. And he told Central America, you will sign the safe third country agreements. I'm going to hold an international aid from you. He told Mexico, you will agree to remain in Mexico. Well, I'm going to tear the hell out of you. And he said, you're going to put uh, military in the southern northern border. President Trump. He, 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 was, he, he didn't take no for an answer. He protected this country. He did what he could to get those border numbers down. And look, it's against the law in Mexico, Brian, to traffic in women and children, but they don't enforce it. It's against the law for an illegal alien to transit to Mexico without a Mexico transit visa, but they allowed it. But under President Trump, he demanded they enforce their own laws and, and, and stop the, the mass illegal migration across the hemisphere, or he was going to not give him money, take money away. This administration wants to give millions of dollars to Central America to say, well, we won't create opportunity zones down there so people won't leave. That's a bunch of garbage. We've done that for decades, had zero effect, so the money never gets where it needs to go. President Trump told me, I sat, remember sitting in the White House office, he goes, hell no, I'm not going to give them money. I won't take money away. And within weeks, we had an agreement with all three Central American countries and Mexico to do what President Trump wanted them to do. Tom Homan, our guest. We had 83,000 migrants cross the border last week. Uh, you know, at the AT&T Stadium, it holds 80,000 where the Dallas Cowboys play. So that puts it in perspective. So if they got it down to 5,000, still unacceptable. They expect 13,000, and we'll see where it's going to go. What I think is also interesting is the fact is Florida went to court. 
And they said because these facilities are so t- uh, packed, the Biden administration started just not processing these people and letting them, just giving them, telling them to go to ICE and report themselves within 10 days. Nobody was doing it. So Florida sued, at which time the press secretary said it was sabotage because the court ruled in Florida's behalf. What's your reaction to this? God bless Florida. God bless Texas. And look, this administration has no intent in securing this border. They haven't done a single thing to slow the flow. Not one. I, I, I wish I could ask the White House for sports. Can you name one thing this administration has done to secure the border and slow the flow? Well, this that is, is what they're going to say. This is what they're going to say. I gave you 1,500 uh, military members to process people. I increased the number of border patrols. What's your reaction? They sent a message to the entire world. If you cross this border illegally, you're going to be released. You can go to you can go get a you know, like, like New York. We just talked about New York. People are going to go to New York anyways because of the sanctuary city. But this administration destroyed every policy that we did on the Trump administration that gave us the most secure border in a lifetime. Again, this this administration unsecured a border. Brian, I worked for six presidents. I started on board from 1984. I started with Ronald Reagan. Every president I worked for took actions to secure the border. Even Obama and Clinton did some actions. They realized you can't have national security without border security. President Biden's the first president in history of this nation who came into office and unsecured a border on purpose. And, and the White House spoke lady wants to get up there and run her mouth and she lies as, as, as much as Mallorca's lies when she said, we stopped building walls it wasn't effective. Lie. Go to cbp.gov and look at the number of illegal aliens that that didn't cross the border when the border wall is being constructed. Where is it? Where is the, where is this, where is the migrant crisis crossing right now? Well, there's not a wall. So they've constantly lied from day one and they purposely unsecured the border and they don't care they haven't taken one action, not one action, to secure the border. They keep coming up with these policies, which they, they'll lose everyone in court. Believe me, they, they're, they're like they're like four right now. They but, create these policies to try to shield the American people that they're trying to secure the border. They're not. They're bringing them in other ways. They have no intention on slowing down the, the increase in illegal aliens coming to this country. Not even speak. You talked about the 5,000, but we're not even speaking about the 1.7 million gotaways that we know about, and we don't know how many gotaways we don't know about that is the biggest issue in, in, well, what, what do you say to people concern. listening to us uh, right now in new york and say do we have any say over this they're converting elementary schools without asking they're converting hotels without asking they kicked out 20 veterans they have to go find another hotel homeless veterans in the area over in orange over in newburgh new york they stop weddings because they want to sell out and get their big check so they sell out every room from the government to illegal immigrants do people have any say over this? Since when is a mayor of New York City deciding what's going to happen in a county? People do have a say, and, and, and that's why they should have voted the right way. Election has consequences. Again, this I don't care what anybody's opinion is on illegal immigration, regardless. But they need to understand, when you cause a crisis this big, that takes up to 80% of agents off the line to process, change diapers, make baby phone, make hospital runs. When you take 80% of board agents off the line, off patrol, that's when a fentanyl comes across to kill over 100,000 Americans. That's when the women and children are sex trafficked into the United States. That's, that's when no suspected terrorists cross. They've already arrested 200 they caught. Out of the 1.7 million people, how many of them known suspected terrorists? They've arrested people from 171 different countries. Some of these countries are sponsored for terror. So if you don't think that anybody out of the 
1.7 came here to do us harm as the terrorists, then you're ignorant to the data. So people need to understand, they get to the voting booth, you need to vote for border security because there's a lot more than illegal immigration. It's about, it's a, this is the biggest national security failure this country's seen since 9-11. If they care about American wages, if you care about our schools, if you care about having your trauma centers actually there for you and not being overcrowded, being run bankrupt by illegal aliens, then get and to the voting booth and make the right choice. What about Anthony? I want to hear what, you, uh, what Tony Gonzalez said, who oftentimes goes against the grain uh, with the Republican Party. And he, of course, is in Uvalde. His whole district is on the border. Here's what he said he'd like to see Biden do. Cut 11. The president should have surged, should surge immigration judges to the border. And that person should get their case heard in days, not years. Right now in El Paso, if you apply on the one app, I was at the, the port of entry. If you apply on the one app, your court date is 2031. I mean, that's eight years from now. The, the president can surge, instead of surging 1,500 troops, surge immigration judges. This is America. Get your day in court. If you do not qualify for asylum, with nine out of 10 people don't, you get sent back to your country of origin. What are your thoughts of that? Well, two things. Number one, I agree with him. I wish you could send immigration judges to the border, but he needs to understand the system, the law created by Congress. These NGOs that represent these illegal aliens, and they can request extensions, time for study the case, time for research the law, and that happens all the time. It never happens overnight if people wanted to, but Congress certainly changed the laws to make that happen. And as far as Tony Gonzalez is concerned, he plays both sides. I like what he's saying, but his actions need to follow his words. He 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 voted against H.R. 1, the Chip Roy bill, which was the toughest immigration bill I've ever seen in my career. And he and he went out and said it, it was anti-immigrant. It, it wouldn't allow people to claim asylum. It was anti-American and, and, it's, and it's anti-Christian. If he would have read the bill and took it honestly, it was none of those things. Because Chip Roy's bill is basically saying what the law says. An arriving alien will be detained. They won't be released. They they shall be detained. That's what the law says. So the H.R. 1 written by Chip Roy basically implemented existing law and says we will enforce those laws and also included the remain in Mexico. But, you know, Tony Gonzalez didn't, didn't for some reason, I don't know why, was, was saying the bill was not what it was. So I, I was really disappointed on that. Hopefully he learned his lesson because what you just played is promising, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Right, and I, I just think that all of a sudden we're pretending that Venezuela, Haiti, and Cuba are problematic, and Nicaragua. They've always been problematic. And then now, well, we, we don't have diplomatic relations with those countries. Well, they got to apply in some other country, and then we'll take a look at their uh, application. But they have yet to set up facilities in Guatemala and Colombia like they chose to do. How long does it take to put up a building and take people in and, and process them or not process them, evaluate them? Well, if they do that, that's going to have, that, that's going to have an effect, right? And I told you, this administration simply doesn't want to, to – they don't want to change course. They want open borders. This is why I was most irritated when President Biden killed the central, uh, the third safe country agreements. We had agreements with Mexico, Amazing. Guatemala, El Salvador, yeah. Honduras on third safe country that if you're really escaping fear and, per- fear and persecution from Honduras and you get into Mexico – have you not escaped that fear since you left that country and that government? So you should be claiming asylum in Mexico. We have those agreements in place. Why would anybody say, you know what? We don't want agreements that help, you know, as, because Trump did it. That's why. Because Trump did it, and he's got immigration groups breathing down his neck. Uh, Tom Holman, thanks so much for telling us the facts. He's Fox News contributor, retired acting ICE director. Appreciate it, Tom. 
You got it, Brian. Thank you. You got it. one 408 7669 Your calls when we get back. And then bottom of the hour, we welcome in Brett Baer. Uh, and uh, we have so much more. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's a shift. It's how you that foreign policy in the past few years. I mean, I think now the normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran is uh, very significant, and it was basically brokered by China. So what you have now is that the Saudis are trying to really exit Yemen. Yemen has been really very costly for Saudi Arabia, both financially and reputation. They're trying to really live in cold peace with Iran. Why? Because they have come to realize they cannot really rely on the United States that they believe that the United States is retrenching, has been retrenching from the region. And also they, they, they're terrified of what comes next in the next 5 or 10 or 20 years. They believe that the international system has shifted and then the future, China is the future. So we're really seeing a much more complex, much more dynamic, what the Saudis call in Arabic, tanwia, diversify their foreign policy and economic policy and regional policies as well. Well, that's Fawaz Gurgis. Uh, he's professor of international relations on the London School of Economics, talking about why the Saudi Arabia out of nowhere just had a, basically a peace deal with Iran. How the heck all of a sudden China is brokering it and what they get in return? Well, Iran was fomenting the violence and uh, being b- behind the Houthi rebels lobbing rockets into their country. That is why Saudi Arabia took action. And they got a lot of pushback because their military is not too good. They were just dropping bombs arbitrarily. But you don't want the Houthi rebels to get a foothold. They don't want a neighbor at their gates if Mexico was bombing us. How long would we tolerate that before we took action? And then when the U.S. basically says, oh, they're a pariah nation, Joe Biden wins the election. So they thought, okay. How is this going to work out for me? Iran already sent a cruise missile into my country when I had an ally in the White House. What's going to happen now? And that's why they cut their they cut their losses. They're wrong, though, if they think that it's going to be China's uh, century or decade or whatever. They, they have not put any incentives into their economy. Their people are there's a huge unemployment problem there and there's an innovation issue there. I am. I would still be you'd be crazy to bet, bet against America. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Everyone is saying it's not that bad. So on Friday, I visited El Paso. I went to the the Central Processing Center. And you're seeing these videos. And this is what not that bad looks like. In in, in the El Paso sector, there's over 6,000 people that are in custody. In this particular facility, it's meant to house 1,000 people. It's housing over 3,000. In one of these rooms, it's meant the max capacity is 90 people. There was over 400 in here. That's a 450% capacity. In another room, meant meant to house 100. 20 people. There was over 700 people in there. We we can't allow not that bad to be the normal. That is uh, Tony Gonzalez. He has the Uvalde sector, a Republican congressman in Texas, just seeing how everything is uh, so overcrowded, so overwhelmed. And when people start saying, hey, this Title VIII is really working out. Uh, we stopped migration uh, 50 percent. He wanted to get a reality check. Also, I think what helps 
He's not known as a firebrand partisan. In fact, he angers a lot of people on the right because of that. But he does stick to the facts as he knows them. He wants to solve problems. And I know Brett Baer appreciates that with his Common Ground segment and his podcast. He's chief political anchor of Fox News. Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brett. It's kind of rare to to get some video from inside these facilities. You know, it's not easy to do. He has that access. And it does tell the story. And also, compounded by a judge's ruling, it doesn't allow the Biden administration to quickly send all these guys on their way without being processed anymore. Yeah. And, you know, listen, um, when Title 42 went away, we we all thought there would be this massive influx, and that's what the Border Patrol expected. The massive influx didn't happen, but this these numbers are unsustainable. And you know, to his point, not that bad is really bad. And these processing facilities are overwhelmed. And the Border Patrol is overwhelmed. So I think it, it context is needed here. Um, you know, we were building up to this one day, but it's really maybe not a tsunami, but it is a very, very high tide of um, – Migrants coming across. The way we understand it, our reporting reveals uh, and confirms that they're still there on the other side of the border. They're, they're biding their time. That rule is a good one that says if you apply early, just walk across the border, you're banned from coming in for five years. So use the app and apply, and then we'll let you know your status. I don't know if they fix the app, but people are waiting before they come off. They don't want to play their one card. The other thing to keep in mind is the thing that's missing, and no one denies this, there doesn't seem to be any pressure in any of these countries to, to control their own borders, Brett. No. And, you know, the diplomatic pressure, the, the vice president was supposed to be the, um, you know, solver of this issue of, on the uh, triangle countries. And, and um, it, it's not happening. Uh, there's not a diplomatic pressure. There's not um, some kind of sanctions for those countries um, we are in a position where China is taking a bigger role in Latin America, and, and we just don't have a lot of leverage. Uh, and you can see that in what's happening on, on the border. Yeah, why don't we have a State Department? I mean, that's a huge building. A lot of people. Can someone go and fan off to these countries before we lose another continent like we have Africa, it seems? But when you talked about the vice president, the border czar, who wants to go to the root causes, there's no element that's working. So you can't even say, well— her element of the border is not is been solved. So that question came up with Jonathan Carl on on uh, ABC. Cut three. It was back in, in two years ago, more than two years ago, uh, that uh, the president put Vice President Kamala Harris in, uh, uh, in, in playing a critical role in terms of trying to stop the flow of migrants across the border. Where has Vice President Harris been on this? Are you in regular contact with her? When was the last time you spoke to her? Um, I, I, uh, Vice President Biden, uh, Vice President Harris reached out to me uh, earlier this week. Uh, that uh, effort is a years-long effort, and Vice President Harris has led the investment of more than $3 billion in the Northern Triangle countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Okay, great. So should we open up a Target and a Home Depot there, and they have some gift cards? That is that is not the way it works. Yeah, it's um, you know he was he could sense he was grasping at <laughs> straws there. Uh, we talked earlier this week. I mean, 
Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, you can't put any success in Vice President Harris's column, and um, and arguably you could say she's just been not present. Uh, Mayorkas, to his credit, has been out answering questions, not with great answers or substance, but answering them. And um, and you know they are touting this lack of a major tidal wave uh, as a success. And I want to talk about 2024. And uh, over the weekend, it looked like I was uh, Saturday. I thought he was tossed into a Trump rally. Instead, it was a DeSantis speech, and the Trump rally was called off. And I think DeSantis owned this weekend in Iowa, where the president owned the week after the town hall on Wednesday, leading up in the post game and everything like that. But I thought DeSantis pulled off an interesting move. Instead of just calling it quits after a second speech, he won about a mile from where in Des Moines, where the president, the former president was going to give his speech and talked about how nice the weather was and how and gave a mini speech and stood on a table, um, uh, stood on a table with his wife and took some questions and took some pictures. That's a pretty savvy move for a guy that's not quite in the race yet. You know, he's trailing significantly. So he has to do something uh, to make make a move. And I think this one was, was pretty significant. Not only that, but the lawmakers who endorsed him are not, you know, no names. Um, there are significant people that are in Iowa endorsing DeSantis in the face of the former president. Uh, so I agree. I think it was a savvy move to go talk to people, say the weather was great when the former president canceled his um, – his rally. So I want you to hear what Larry Hogan said. The problem with DeSantis's strategy, cut 16. You talked about Ron DeSantis coming in. I mean, he, you know, he's been trying to out Trump Trump and that's not going to work. I mean, it's like, why would you settle for, you know, Robin when you can have Batman? It's like, you know, it's, he, you've got to take Trump on and not just be at a younger, smarter version of Trump. Chris Christie, similar strategy, cut 15. You can't beat Donald Trump by playing bumper pool. And hitting it off three cushions and hope that it goes in, it goes in the hole. Um, it's that's not the way it works, John. And I think they're all making a marked mistake. As to the audience reaction, let's face it: CNN went in the tank to get Trump on there. They allowed him to negotiate who was going to be in that audience. So I don't know that for sure. Maybe Chris Christie does. But how do you feel about it? I mean, people think going out Trump directly is the right way. That has not worked before. It didn't work for Ted Cruz. Didn't work for Marco Rubio. And what you risk is not not only if you do win, you don't have the Trump people with you. And I don't know if you can win without the Trump people. So I just want to know your thoughts. You talk to so many people on and off camera. Yeah. So I actually think DeSantis is backing into this in, in the right way as far as strategy goes, which is most Republicans will say to you, if in their heart of hearts, even if they're Trump Republicans, will say – listen, I really love the policies of Donald Trump, really love them, um, and they'll list them. But I could do without the chaos. And if you run on that, bringing back the Trump policies with you know, maybe a little caveats here or there, and then you don't go head-to-head, you know, punch them in the nose like Chris Christie wants to do, it's possible that you could be the alternative. You could be the, you know, I don't love the chaos candidate, but I do love the policies. So 
I hear what Christie and, and Hogan are saying, but Christie may be, you know, the suicide bomber that he was with Marco Rubio in New Hampshire. He may be the guy that takes him on head on and, and really dings the former president up. But historically, that really hasn't worked. Marco Rubio, to your point, tried to do that, and he went down in the weeds and lost. If you go down that far, you lose with a guy like Donald Trump. Ironically, they both end up being pretty tight with him through his four years, and even today, uh, both Ted Cruz and, and Rubio, and they're not going to run again. Brett, uh, the big stories that you'll probably cover that don't get a lot of traction today but I think are huge is uh, Zelensky you doing this week, last week, goes to the Vatican, goes to Germany, goes to France, goes to the U.K. He's making sure everyone knows he's out there. He's squeezing hands and thanking people and taking pictures, and he's basically making sure they are all still in and letting him know he's still there and how important this summer is. This really could be the summer by what we're reporting, what we're seeing of Ukraine taking back a lot of land. What are your sources telling you? Yeah, I, I think that this so-called counteroffensive is real. Uh, they're going to really try to push. I think all this stuff about uh, Ukraine hitting inside Russia uh, is probably real. Um, and there's a lot of angst about that in, in the Pentagon and elsewhere in the White House. Um, because that's not what uh, they signed on for. But I think Ukraine is, is getting bold, and they think this is the time to make the move. Um, we'll see. You know, I, I think that the Republican Party is iffy. It's definitely split uh, about, you know, staying on this track. And it will be a big, big issue in the 24 election. I cannot see a scenario where Ukraine is not in America's interest to make sure they're successful. All our enemies are watching, uh, and the ramifications be cataclysmic for our foreign policy. Uh, it's amazing the U.K. has to give them long-range missiles. We didn't, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's a, a big deal. And you could argue that somebody on the other side could take the Biden administration on for screwing this up from the beginning from the side that they didn't help fast enough, better, uh, you know, they didn't do it quicker. And, um, and yet most of the hits are coming from the other side, which is we're doing too much, uh, which is fascinating to watch. The other big story is Turkey. And if Erdogan uh, loses, it is a major sea change in that uh, part of the world. Yeah, I want you to hear what Admiral James Stravitas said this morning, Cut 28. Turkey is a big country, and it, it finds itself in between Europe, a volatile Middle East, Asia. It's got a dynamic young population, and it's got the second largest military in NATO after only the United States. So a big geopolitical actor, very important to the alliance. You've got to consider that Erdogan, if he wins this election, will have completely consolidated power in Turkey. And he's edged up to it. I think the odds, unfortunately, are 75 to 80 percent. He'll probably achieve that in the coming runoff in two weeks. Let's wait and see. But it means you're going to see peak Erdogan. He will be in complete control of the country. He's and that, and that's important, too, because that's a victory for Russia. Because he's been somewhat of an ally to Russia, and he's been problematic to Sweden, who wants to get into NATO. Those are just two of the issues. 
Yeah, and it's problematic to the U.S., frankly. Um, and so if you were to lose, it would be a major sea change. If you were to win, he would feel emboldened and maybe do some crazy stuff. So, um, you know, that's an election that people inside America probably say, well, why do I care about this? Uh, we should care. I agree. Uh, Brett, uh, good luck tonight. I'll be watching everything you do. <laughs> I'll be listening. Okay. Hey, all right. Go get him. Uh, Brett Baer, thanks. one 408 When we come back, we find out if there's indeed more to know. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. You know, I'm just looking at the clock, and I'm just wondering if I need to know more. What do you think, Eric? More to know. Sponsored by Spirits Capital Corporation. Barreled whiskey is the cash cow of industry insiders. But now you, too, can invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. Go to caskdeeds.com, C-A-S-K-Deeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. All right, let's start with Ted Lasso. Jason Sudeikis, the creator and star of Apple TV's Ted Lasso, spoke about how former Donald Trump President Donald Trump influenced the show. He says it follows an American football coach recruited to manage a British football team, uh, soccer meaning. Uh, in an interview with The Guardian, Sudeikis revealed how the political climate in 2015 shaped the character. He told The Guardian's Tim Lewis was told that the first iteration of the character, Ted Lasso, was very belligerent. When Sudeikis decided to revive the character for Apple, he knew the audiences would need a more kind and caring American character. It was the coach we were living in. I'm not terribly active online. It was even affected me. Then you have Donald Trump coming down with the escalator. I was like, okay, this is silly. I hated how people weren't listening to one another. Things become very binary. I don't think that's the way the world works. Uh, and I was like, boy, I don't want to add to this. I don't want to portray us that way. So the third and final season is currently airing on Apple TV with a possible spinoff series uh, premiering in the future. I'll tell you what. I like the last episode, but I've been extremely disappointed in this season, though, I would have to say. Really? Yeah. But you're going to watch it all the way through. I'm like, it's so, I mean, get to the point. And I'm like, I'm watching two or three at a time because I wait, watch two or three. Right? And I'm like, last, I, over the weekend, I caught up. The last episode I thought was decent. But, I mean, some of the stuff is, like, cartoonish. And you had one great, I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but remind me in two weeks to tell you the big mistake they made. Okay, will do. Eric, you you remind me because uh, Allison will forget. Next, Tom Brady was reportedly discussing becoming a, a, a minority owner of the Las Vegas uh, Raiders. Uh, the priest needs permission from Fox to do so. Uh, he has secured that permission from Fox going to ESPN. Okay, that's weird. Discussion between the two sides have been going on for weeks. So can you own a team? I guess he wouldn't talk about the team. Let Howie Long do the Raider talk, I guess. Never call any Raider games. I don't think that would be that much of a problem, would it? Yeah, and you just do a giant disclaimer, right? I mean, I feel like everyone is has their fingers in everything. So you just let the audience know, and that's that. You yeah. also can give probably great insight in another way now, besides actually being on the field, being a quarterback. What's it like? Yeah, but you know, people got to say, well, he's skewing it towards one person or another. Just like, but when you get people in the booth, like Troy Aikman calling a Galboy game. Of course, Troy Aikman's going to be, everyone's like, oh, he's pulling for the Cowboys. Uh, Brady and Davis, uh, uh, they said that uh, they still got to have all these guys sign off on it. Evidently, all the current team owners would have to vet and prove Brady's limited partnership. I'm sure that'll be fine. Brady also is a part owner of the Las Vegas Aces. All of a sudden, Las Vegas. 
next. Self-checkout machines are now asking for tips in the last squeeze. Companies including airports, bakeries, and coffee shops and sports stadiums have now introduced the self-service tipping option. Uh, you can leave tips, including typical 20% despite facing minimal or no interaction. Of course you should not be tipping a machine. Do we agree on that? Where's the money going? Yeah, right. I totally. I mean, if it goes to the cart, we discussed this on TV. If it goes to the cart guy, would you yeah. like to give 5% to the other or 10% to the other cashiers? Would you want to give it to the cart guy who are way underappreciated or cart people? Yeah. No, it, it's a great point. You, like, name the person. But do you feel like whenever you're checking out anywhere at this point, if the machine doesn't give you a prompt to give extra money, whether it's a donation, a tip or something, it's Shock. like they're missing out. I agree. What also I hate is this. On the smoothie place I go to, it says, oh, before you check out, they have something on your screen. It's a tip sheet. So every time, I will tip. And the person's pointing that out to you, so if you don't, you feel like... Right, no, but they never acknowledge that I tip. Oh, they can't even say thank you? Right, but either they don't see it on the screen, or they just choose to, like, of course, you better tip me. Or they're not paying attention. Right, or they're not paying attention. The smoothie's good. That's good. And I feel good about myself. But tipping should come from the inside. Always tip, though, when phobia... Don't tip privately. Because then you don't get credit for it. Exactly. It's all about credit. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.